Hey everyone, the Sport Performance Podcast is back. This time around, it will be hosted by one of our former summer interns, Ivan Jukic, all the way from Croatia. In this episode, Bob Alejo joins Ivan to discuss some of his recent blog articles, one of which being the controversial topic of whether or not the catch in a power clean is necessary for athletes. He recently did a guest lecture at Athletic Lab with our interns and staff on the subject and quickly developed a rapport with Ivan, who took an opposite stance and could not wait to talk further with Bob about it, among other topics. Without further ado, let's get right to it. It's episode 12 of the Athletic Lab Sport Performance Podcast right now. What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Lab Audio Inventory. Okay, welcome to the Athletic Lab Sport Performance Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Bob Leo. Uh, Bob, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ivan. Good yeah. morning. Yeah. Uh, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about your background, your education, experience? And yeah, I can. I can. Um, I don't want it. Might take a while because I'm old and I've done it a long time. But I'll just have been, you know, I've been coaching for about 35 years. Um, my education, I got at California State University at Chico in the California State College System in California, and and I'm getting a bachelor's in physical education, but I I had my a double major. I was a physical education biology major because when I first got in there, I thought I'd go into physical therapy. So um, back in those days, of course, there was no athletic tract, no sports science, no none of that stuff was going on. So I, when I once I realized that I, I was going to have to volunteer 1,500 hours a week just to get into PT school, and most of that time would be carrying bedpans around, I figured I might take another path. <laughs> Uh, to do what I wanted to do. Um, and then from there, you know, I, I just started my coaching career. So, you know, I think if I can add it all up, I was spent 10 years at UCLA. I spent uh, about 13, 14 years in pro baseball. Um, 12 of those years were with uh, the Oakland A's twice. I went back twice. Um, proud to say that. I really liked working with Billy Bean. I thought we were a really good crew. Um, spent four years at UC Santa Barbara. And I just finished up six years at North Carolina State as the assistant athletic director, director of strength and conditioning. And now I'm the director of sports science for powerlift. Um, and in between there, I've done some other coaching with um, beach volleyball. And um, I was on two Olympic teams with my two beach volleyball guys. And we won the gold medal in Beijing in 2008. And 212, we, we weren't as lucky. But uh, that, that about summarizes it, I think. No. Wow. <laughs> you have to talk <laughs> so much about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to talk uh, about interesting articles that you recently published on simplyfaster.com. And, yeah. and uh, in one of them, uh, you were talking a lot about importance of basics. And obviously, a lot of people today are... Uh, a lot of people are saying that it's time to get back to the basics. But uh, still, we are not getting back to it. Uh, yeah, I think that not everyone understands what basics are. So can you yep. touch a little bit on that? Yeah, you know, that's interesting you should say that because when I started writing the article, I thought, well, crap, this will be easier to write. Let's just get back to the basics. Start at the beginning, you know, and then when I started actually getting into it, I realized that there really wasn't a good definition of it. I mean, I think it's, you know, you know what it is. I know what it is. But then to actually verbalize it or put it into print became a little more uh, of a task for me. So I, uh, at, after I started kind of spitballing on paper, it's kind of how I write, just start writing things and back and forth and gathered all the guy. I realized really getting back to the basics really means taking the proper progression and not skipping steps. Uh, and the easiest way to say is, you know, you start at step one, not at step six. And it just it doesn't mean you have to spend a long time at step one, but it means it does mean that you have to get to step one before you get to two, three, four. And so if I looked out over the landscape and uh, I figured out writing this article, how would I present that to the reader? I put it in the form of what makes you say, hey, you need to get back to the basics. And it was really that we, we say that always when we see somebody who's just doing too much doing too much too soon, 
that kind of thing. And so that's really it. And then, of course, you can apply that to exercise, body comp, nutrition, teaching methods, any of those things. You know, I mean, uh, um, they all come into play. And, and, and what I'm seeing now is everybody wants to rush to get to the sexy stuff, you know, stuff that's really exciting and fun. And listen, I love to do that. You know, I can't wait to get there. But I'm also smart enough to know that I need to start in the beginning so that when I get there, it's as sexy and as fun as it can possibly be. And, right. and, and in, that, in that sense, it means whatever's best for the athlete. You know, right. this is going right. to be they're going to be able to optimize whatever that complex movement, that special advanced technique I'm going to put in there. It's going to be the best possible method. Now, in some instances, you know this, you can start with something that's a little more advanced if you want. And it's not going to, I don't think it, in most cases, it probably wouldn't hurt anybody, although it would be risky. But the, the, the answer to the question, but how will they be later is not as advanced as they would be should they have started at the beginning part. Yeah, that's awesome, Bob. So let's say when you're dealing with your athletes, at what point you think that it's time progress? So what you want to see from your athletes so you can say, okay, it's time to step up. So. Right. Uh, well, you know, in the college setting, here, here's a unique part of that, Ivan. In the college setting, your freshman is always the same age, sophomore. I mean, so they come to you at, at the same stage of, of typically the same what I call chronological training age. They've had about the same exposure to weightlifting as generally speaking. Right. Um, probably the group that is a little more advanced in that area is probably a football group who to get to the level had to have done some weightlifting at some point mm -hmm. uh just because of the nature of the sport but other than that typically they come to you as beginners you know where there's plenty of room for growth haven't been on a on a developed consistent regimen of weight training conditioning nutrition all these things so they're they're new um And so collegially, it's easy to it's easy to say after about a year of training, you can take the next step. Some, you know, there's a plus or minus in there and you have to deal with that. But um, that's kind of collegially. It's the easy part. When you get up into the professional level, it's a little different because now you're talking about. Well, so, for instance, in baseball, like you and I were talking a little bit earlier, that 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 age group can be anywhere from 21 to 35. And so it's a little bit different and that environment's different too. There's not as much developing going on and that sort of thing. But I think after a while, if you've done, if you've done it and you've shown some patience and that's really a big part of, for both of us, you know, the athlete and the, and the coach, both of it is patience. Hell, everybody wants to have your guy bench 300, squat 400, you know, as yeah. soon as they possibly yeah. can. Uh, but you've just got to be patient. And uh, I think if you've done it enough times, It's one of those things where you know when it's time. You know, technically, uh, everything's solid, and I think that's the first thing you look at. So as a beginning lifter, everything for me is at technical failure. There's nothing muscular going on really then. And so if they're just not doing it right, then you stop. If they're not doing it right, then you look at the load. Uh, and pretty soon, as you know, that bench press that looks like this when they're beginning ends up being a nice smooth lift. And you say, put another five pounds on there, right? Yeah. There's really no, yeah. I, uh, and this is what I say when, when we, you know, typically older athletes like yourself or even, you know, kids in the professional rank, those are called tests. You know, we're, we're going to max out. We're going to have a test, right? With the younger kids, as they start to develop through that progress, I call that an assessment. There's really no, no maxing going on because if you take a kid who's young and then you, and you do what you might think is a max out in week eight, And you start assigning percentages to them, probably in anywhere from you know six to ten days, that max probably has already changed. <laughs> so you can't really you can't really do it that way. It's still more like put on five more pounds, take off ten pounds, you know that kind of thing. And at some point, it'll start you know their their growth starts to plateau out a little bit, and that's when you can start making some changes. But the biggest thing that you asked earlier was when do you when do you think you make the change? Because the beginning part is all learning. The next part is all strength. When that strength starts to stop climbing the way it's supposed to and starts tailing off, that's when you see. So you want to get as much strength out of these beginning athletes as you possibly can. Right. That's uh, one of the things that you mentioned in uh, some other presentations that you gave. 
uh, you were quoting uh, Robert Newton and his uh, yeah. uh, beautiful presentation about uh, strength as a as a kind of uh, background of everything. It's a kind of uh, big first step before uh, progressing to power development and, and every other quality. Right. Yeah. So okay, but uh, you mentioned a lot about. Uh, uh, now, what about load? Everybody wants to squat. Everybody wants to weightlift and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of listeners would like to know your opinion about the power clean and the problems that you have with the power clean. And in one of the articles, you actually questioned the utilization of power clean with other athletes. And mm -hmm. uh, with other, I'm uh, speaking about every other athletes except weightlifters. So can you talk right. about that? Right. Well, I, I think what that boils down to is not so much the exercise, but the intent. And uh, which I really liked when we came out there and we had our little round table within athletic lab, you brought up some great questions to bring out the right answers to those questions. I mean, and, and that's a, and I thought it was a great chance to have somebody look at what it's like to get good answers. And the only way you get good answers is to ask good questions. And if you're not getting good answers, that means you need to ask better questions, right? Yeah. Right. So your question was, you know, what about catching or not catching it, which is my contention. And I say, well, first of all, you can catch it if you want. I mean, that's certainly, I would not outrule that. It's still a great lift. Um, and so is the snatch and so is the clean and the jerk or the clean and jerk. Um, but my question would be intent and like driving the program is, what is it you are you trying to do? Like, what, what is this lift? What are you trying to do? And I've had this, I've had this conversation with a track coach one time. Well, well, my kids need to clean. And I say, first of all, they were too young to go that far. They weren't even able to pull, you know, a couple hundred pounds off the ground by, you know, just in a deadlift. But I say, well, why? Well, because it's just good. Well, okay, that's not a good answer. But if you're going to do it for power, We've already shown now, and then, and then uh, since we've now, you and I have now talked, um, or at least at that athletic lab, Paul Comfort and Tim Suckamel are continuing on some weightlifting studies when taking the same loads, cleaning it, and pulling it, not taking uh, relative loads, but just the same loads and seeing what they're coming up with. We find that you can produce more power with about the same speed uh, with heavier weights. So, you know, if you're telling me, I want to produce the best power possible for my kids, then right now that best alternative in, in the clean style movement would be the high pull. Uh, because you can, you can vary the height that you pull the bar. You don't have to catch it. And you can work over a range of the force velocity curve. You can go real, real heavy, real, real light, just the height of the bar changes, some speed changes in there, but then you can really manipulate that variable because he's been, you know, Tim, I think Tim and Paul both have shown you can use up to 140% of a max clean in a pool. Now, when you're cleaning the bar, you can only, you can only use 100%. You can't go higher than that. And so that changes some ideas. Um, but uh, the one thing I do think we have to remember is, is a point that you brought up is that we don't deal with weightlifters. We deal with athletes. The weightlifters are doing that every single day where their technique is flawless at a certain age. Um, and so we don't have to worry about that. The other thing too, is the weight that they're trying to get is a max load. They're, they're trying to lift the most amount of weight, depending on whatever they want to do. In our instances, it's not necessarily that case. And so I found out that we can start training, uh, four to six weeks faster. If we can just start pulling the bar instead of going through the, the catching and the teaching progression. In fact, there's been some studies on how long it takes to be, uh, proficient enough to create a certain bar path, to create a certain speed uh, in learning the power clean, the catching technique. And so I think that's a critical spot, especially for college uh, coaches who only have a certain amount of time. And so when you're taking four to six weeks out of a training block, that's a long damn time. Uh, and, and frankly, if we talk about time all the time, we can't do it when it's convenient. If, if we don't have enough time, we don't have enough time. So we got to figure out what do we do instead. And so Tim and Paul have done a great job uh, with some of the weightlifting derivatives out of the hang, from the floor, uh, mid-thigh pull, 
both catching and pulling, and they're coming up with some great results for those who are, who are concentrating on not an exercise, but the result. What do I want to do? I want to have the most amount of power with a total body movement. Okay, well, so you have a couple of choices, right? You have the clean, you have the, the clean derivatives, all the pulling, you have snatches, right? And so now you've got an idea. And so that I think the most important thing to me is, again, back to what's best for the athlete. And so if you're saying I want to create the most power with the most amount of weight, uh, pulling from the ground, blah, blah, you know, however you want to set up your criteria, then right now that answer is the clean pool. Now the next thing we're going to look at is how does the core react? Because some of the people who are in football say, well, I think it's important when they catch it to be able to brace in through here and all that. Um, as soon as we can get the electrodes set up uh, and the Bluetooth and everything ready to go, we'll be able to see what that is. But my, my point to them is this now, when we talk about bracing, it's not as if you're throwing the bar up in the air and waiting for it and then catching. It's not like that, right? It's, it's a smooth transition. If you're a good coach and your kids are getting good at the lift, there's less bracing because your technique is, is better. So that kind of kills the theory that for football, it's better for us to catch because you get that bracing. The answer is, but there's less bracing the longer they train because you're, you're a good coach and they're able to time that much better and so on and so forth. Right. right. Um, you said that uh, we don't have a lot of time as an SNC coaches in most cases, especially right. you're saying in uh, uh, college level. In America, right. uh, let's say if you are working, uh, if you were an SSC coach in European soccer, uh, where you have to deal with elite players that are 18 years old, or at least you need to get them to elite level uh, by the age of 18, how would you fit your philosophy there? Uh, well, I mean, I think first thing you need to do is, is from from all from everything that I've seen, read, heard, we got to first change the environment with elite soccer where they can actually lift weights. We, they're not doing anything right now, which is kind of funny because, you know, uh, Nordboard had done some things on some hamstring work. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was in the Premier League or at least somewhere up in that level. Yeah. And they said, hey, yeah. we, we had these guys do this and then reduced hamstring injuries by, you know, whatever percent. My response is, if they did anything, they would reduce injury by some percent. Right. You know, they're not doing anything. And the funny thing about it, and I know you know you know this, that the most debilitating injury in the Premier League over the last probably 15 to 20 years has been hamstring pulls, yet they don't lift weights. It's the, it's the most unbelievable thing. Right. It's, it, to me, it's the same analogy as I'm driving my car over a bunch of nails and I keep getting flat tires. But instead of removing the nails, I just get a new tire. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Anyway, small rant, just a little rant, sorry. Uh, uh, but I think you have to start with the education process, Ivan, like anything. Like, look, this is what's going to make you better. Not going to make you necessarily bigger or slower. I mean, you know, track and field athletes are perfect examples of some of the most explosive and fastest running, highest jumping, longest throwing athletes in world history. And they all, at some point, strength train, power train, speed train, all those things. We can still do that with soccer. I'm still, I'm still waiting for a chance. I'd love to go coach over there and take a team and, and come up with some unbelievable training data because they're even at the ages that they are now, not, not the younger, of course, you'd have to start in the academy to get this thing ingrained in there, right? But even at the older, I, if you could take it, you would get unbelievable numbers because they're untrained. They don't do anything. And it's it's so across the culture that um, whoever does that first will be like not only the first, but the only at that time. And it'll be clear that you can get into a strength training mold and produce incredible results. Um, and I think those results are only going to happen, Ivan, if you start at the academy level. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, maybe 11 and 12, but – You know, the problem with that is that you'd have to stick around for eight to 10 years to kind of reap the benefits of what you've been teaching after, you know, kids are starting 11, 12, and they finally get up to 18 where 
you know, now now they're starting to figure out these kids are going to be good or not, right? And then you'd have to wait that long to look at all this training that's occurred. But I I just think it's like anything, you know, the education process. And, and when you mentioned uh, European soccer, I mean, you're fighting a huge amount of tradition that has opposed and been completely resistant to strength training. Yeah, 100%. Uh, 100%. But um, uh, it's nice that you mentioned academy and it all starts there. So we were talking about basics. So in my opinion, I think that basics should be incorporated very early um, in the academy level, let's say eight, nine, ten years old. So let's say if you were working in a club that, that has that established already, And you have athletes coming at you by the age of 18 and they are already proficient uh, with a lot of movements and they have a decent amount of strength. So how how would you go then? First thing I'd be doing is going like this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think what you've done is you've you've already summed up with a nice environment has already been set. They're coming to me with a decent amount of strength already proficient in the lifts. I and mean, that's exactly what you want to see. Now what you're really doing is you're really fine tuning the nervous system. And that comes, that comes in this way. It's, it's a really a longer version of that in season program that I wrote for simply faster. It's going to be, it's going to be higher intensity, very low volumes throughout the entire year. And so now we've got the strength, you can't lose any of that. So that means we still have to strength train to stay there. So we're only talking about ones, twos, and threes in terms of repetition. Powers in that same range, ones, twos, and threes, right? And I think you, if you just stay with that the whole time, now the coaches will get exactly what they want, more time on the pitch. Because it seems that they always want to have, you know, well, we need to play soccer. We need to play soccer. Right. Um, and, and I understand that to a certain degree, but if you're not physically developed, then you're missing a piece of the pie. That means you're going to be an under physically developed soccer player. You're going to keep kicking the ball and running around, but at some point that's not going to, that's not going to help you. You're going to lose out to somebody else who hasn't, who's done the same kind of thing you've done, nothing, but has better DNA. That guy's going to wipe you out. Right. Yeah. So now that they're there at 18, I think now we can do what we were talking about earlier. Now we can get a little fancy, get a little sexy and start doing some really cool things with the nervous system, with high speed, higher intensity, very low volumes. The training won't have to be as much, won't affect anything. They'll never be sore again because they're not going to be in a repetition zone anymore. They don't need to. And now we can spend some time, um, you know, and and actually when I think about it, it's going to look more like a, a track sprinter. 800 meter runners kind of work out, right? Kind of back and forth between something that a shot putter and discus thrower would do and an 800 meter runner kind of combine those and, and wrap those around the practices. I, I think, I think what you'll end up having is, is a phenomenal soccer athlete. Phenomenal. I agree. Um, a lot of practitioners in our field today are neglecting strength development during the season, actually. So, Yep. Do you think that, uh, let's call them maintenance programs, are the answer? And uh, can we develop strength uh, in season? So what is your opinion about that? You already know the answer to this one, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> You're setting me up. You're setting yeah, me yeah. up. I want to ask. I want the listeners to, uh, to know. About <laughs> That's good. That's good, though. <laughs> uh, so first of all, you know, you and I both know that, that maintenance is a bad word. It's, it's the M word, right? We don't want to use that ever. Um, and so what's happened is coaches, either they're not good enough or they don't understand how to train during the season to maintain, to, to not maintain strength, but to create that strength level that stays up high enough. So two things actually happen when you're using intense training in season, Ivan. One is your strength levels can be retained. When you're younger, they'll be increased. Right. I mean, I've got tons of information on kids that were freshmen that just got stronger throughout the year because that's, that's just normal. That has nothing to do with me or any kind of magic, right? I didn't, I didn't have to put on a, a pointy hat with stars on it to make sure everybody thinks I'm a magician. But what happens with the heavier weights during the season is your muscles get to feel what 100% tension. Nobody's pulling a hamstring. Nobody's blowing out a groin. Nobody's hurting their arm by going 70%. Right. Nothing happens. 
It's when they go full speed or they put themselves in an awkward spot. And if the muscle hasn't been exposed to that, either through training or lifting, something's going to happen, right? And you and I both know that in competition, you know, your body goes into overdrive. It, it, it has you do things that you're not, tip, you're not capable of doing unless you're in that environment. You know, everybody trains as hard as they can. And, and, and what they say is true. The game, you can't, you can't really simulate the game. You have to get in the game. Right. But, but that doesn't stop us from training really hard in the off season. But what I'm saying is, so that that's when it gets out to overextending on that run, on that reach, whatever it might be, that's when injury occurs. So I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that heavy weights are the thing that reduces the chance of injury because the muscle and the joint and the bone and the tendon and the ligament feels what a hundred percent tension is. And if you can, uh, alternate the training throughout the season you should have the best situation now, of course you can't go heavy every day who you don't, you don't do that in the off season so why would you do it in the end season but because the volume is so low there's no fatigue involved because the volume is so low there's no soreness created um and now you have the best situation ever handling heavy weights one or two reps making sure that you feel what that is with the prop and so all that stuff that you're warm so let's say we're going 90 percent well, so you don't just put 90% on the bar. You have, you know, 60%, 70, 80, 90 for one or two reps. So you're, you're still building a sort of a, a background of training underneath that sort of thing too. But um, with limited volumes, I think, you know, at the end of the year, you'll see that your vertical jump has not changed much. Your strength levels are probably in the in 90 plus range, which is pretty damn good for a season, depending on what kind of season you have. If you can maintain 90 to 90, 93, 94% of your strength as a baseball athlete, I think that's phenomenal over a seven month period. Right. I mean, that's absolutely, and you're playing every single day. So, you know, you can imagine, you know, like soccer. So, you know, you, you have, in the Premier League, you have one game a week, right? One match a week. Isn't that the way it goes? You may have a, a, a friendly in between there, right? Yeah. And obviously, if you're playing your Champions League, you, ha- you, can, you can have as much as almost three games a week. So in Premier League okay. also. So no, when you, when you sit down, like, like we all do, the, the coaches that understand programming and periodization, you see that in front of you. And so you can plan for that, for that three game a week, right? Okay. Yeah. We're going to go over here now. We're, um, it, you shouldn't have any problems at all. It all gets accounted for that, And that's what the beauty of periodization is, which is why I tell people who, who are, you know, periodization is dead or needs, I say, that's bull crap. We're all doing periodization. If you're if you're doing something, if you're planning a training, and you expect the result at the end of that training, that's periodization. Yeah, now, I think <laughs> I think sorry, I think that the problem with periodization is in terminology, like Absolutely. the basics. Not everyone understands what periodization actually is. So I agree with you. There we have a. Th- that's why we have a problem. So I, I would say you're 100 percent correct. That's that's probably more accurate than what I said. In fact, I say. I don't even know what, you know, accumulation and all. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> just, I think you have prep, competition, transition. That's all I say. You're, you got your preseason, you're in season, you're off season. It's not that hard. And really, if you want to call preseason, you can call preseason off season too for, for as much as you'd like. But just as long as that training changes. But when Mike Stone put that piece out in 1980 something or other, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. If you look at the title, it says theoretical model. It didn't say the model. It says theoretical model of strength training. And in that, he sets up blocks and phases. And so what's happened over the years is people say, well, we have to have hypertrophy and we have to have strength and we have to have power. We have to have high reps up here. And no, you don't. In fact, when you get older, there may not be any hypertrophy phase, you know, and as you get older, you know, those phases change in length, right? Because of what we talked about earlier, assessing strength and power, you know, and at the end of the season, you have to, you know, um, you have to somewhat dismember the training and break it down and say, okay, what's happened over the year? Because not, not every year is the same. One year might be harder on your legs than the year before. And so that changes, but it's a theoretical model. And what that, what he's saying is a model, you've got to have a model that says, here's what we're going to do. Right. Yeah. So also in addition to that, I think that periodization should be more agile, like Mladen Jovanovic is always speaking about 
you know you always in in you always have to be able to modify your periodization because sure. not everything not everything not everything is black and white you know you can't predict the future how they are going to feel is your coach going to put some friendly games in between and stuff like that so you always have to be able to modify what you think about that well i think it's true i, I would say this though i think some have taken it to a further extreme than what you mentioned where they say you know, you never know what's going to happen, so you can't really periodize. I say well, that's ridiculous. You know, I mean, that's like uh, that's like like getting in your car and going on a trip, but not planning the route because you're afraid. There, you know, you say, well, you can't really plan the route because there might be a wreck, or it might rain, it might snow, so I'm not going to have a route. Well, no, you have to have a route. But then when that thing comes in between there, then you make your, you know, you make your detour, right? Like you're saying, coach comes to you, hey Ivan, this week we're going to add a. We're going to add a friendly and now, and you have a 90% week. Well, now that's changed. But when you change that, then you have to change some other things down here too, right? Right. But part of that, part of that down here that you're going to look at has to do with, okay, let me see what we've done. So let's say you've just come off a couple of light weeks. Now you've added a friendly in there. Well, so you have to go light again, and, but you can't just say, okay, now we're going to go heavy after this because You've already had a series of light weeks for you to go real heavy here again could produce some soreness. So you're going to have to change that and kind of climb that a little bit instead of jumping up where you had it already. So you had coming off a light week going to a 90 percent. That 90 might have to be changed into an 82 and 86 and 83. And, you know, and you have to re, you have to reroute you reroute everything. But a- absolutely, you have to jump on that. Awesome. So. Uh, during your time at uh, Major League Baseball, um, in one of the articles, you mentioned that you like to start in off-season. You like to start with low volume to avoid soreness and fatigue, and what is quite opposite from usual practice. And yeah. can you elaborate that a bit? Yeah, I mean, so let's 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 do what let's do what many of us do do, but sometimes forget. Let's remember what it was like when we did that. Right. right. Um, for you, it was probably more recent than me. Right. So, so like for me, it was like, you know, 40 years ago. But, so the, you know, the first, OK, you've had a long season. We didn't do much during the year. Uh, now we're going to start up. Let's do, you know, five sets of 10 on this and four sets of 12 on that. And shit, you can't hardly walk the next day. Right. What good is that? There's no benefit in that at all. None. In fact, we know that physiologically, that some of that soreness inhibits muscular contraction, inhibits neural transmission. So as much as you want to go ahead and do this, your body just not letting you. It just you can't do it. So what I say is you need to you need to accommodate for that, right? Get yourself to be you, you know you just can't make somebody sore where now now not only is sore they don't want to do it. It's not enjoyable. It's going to affect technical mastery right you're sore you can't really do what you want and it's going to affect the load you might not even be able to do the same load you did last week because you're so sore so i like ascending repetitions i like a build-up phase where we can you know all you need is about four weeks and it, it gets everybody back in the swing of things in fact i like it because not only are the weights a little bit lighter the sessions are shorter in and out you know you over the course of a year's time ivan there's going to be a lot of time commitment later on down the road. You, you don't need to crush everybody right here. In fact, uh, in baseball, um, Barry Weinberg, who I owe a great deal of thanks to for my baseball career, was our athletic trainer. Our first day of sprints, very first day in spring training, was 10 five-yard sprints. That was it. That was our conditioning for the day. And he kind of looked at me like, what are you doing? You know, are you sure this, you know, like, okay, but, but they let me go. Well, in the, in the course of time, every week that those 10 fives was 10, then 15, then 20, then 25, then 30, right? So in the course of short, wow, we're built up to a certain level. After a while, we'd bring players in, and at the end of our conditioning, so our, our, our uh, anaerobic period was uh, two sets of 10 20-yard strides. That was our conditioning took us about three minutes. That was it. See you guys. See you tomorrow. And uh, our trainer, after a year's time, realized, I see what you're talking about. Because these guys are here to play baseball. They're not here to run or sprint or lift. I need them to play catch. I need them to run the bases, to swing a bat. Um, and then players would come to him the next year like, uh, you know, are you sure this is a good strength program? And our trainer ended up telling him, just 
relax. You're in the perfect spot. Don't it'll it'll show up in time. And so I took that I took that as an important part because I learned that after an off season, um, when they came to spring training, I had two groups of guys. I had the group of guys who worked their tail off really hard, right? And then I had a group of guys that didn't do anything. I mean, almost nothing at all. And we're dealing with adults now, you know, very high-priced players who are very skilled at what they do. And during that time, when I got in and 24 years ago, there, there was only half the league had strength coaches. Not every, every team had a strength coach. So I figured, like, how can I get these guys? They're here to play. They're getting – we signed them because we thought they'd be helpful in getting us to a world championship. If they're unable to swing or throw the next day or the next week, then that, that doesn't make me look good at all. And now – I'm not enabling them to make a living. So what do I do? So I found out the best method to train them was first day of sprints is 10 five-yard sprints. First day of conditioning is two sets of 10 at 20 yards because it's low. It lets the guys who work their butt off all winter have a download week. And the guys who did nothing, it's the beginning of a good program. So it fit everybody perfectly. And we just climbed it up together. And I do the same thing collegiately. Now, we don't have four weeks to do that, but I'll, I, may, I may change that. But I like taking a weight and just adding the ascending reps would be like first week sets of four, next week sets of eight, next week sets of eight, ten. And then in the, in the fourth week, you're at sets of 12 where you're having a pretty good workout, and that's good enough. Now you've accumulated a little, little weightlifting fitness. The joints and the muscles are ready. All the soreness is gone. Now we can start lifting a little bit. Uh, and I think that's really important. And I think anybody who doesn't do that, I think, is making a huge mistake. I do. So how would you progress from there? Well, then you can take a jump anywhere you want. So it depends on what kind of sports you're having, right? So if I normally, if you're not working with a, you know, a, a very high anaerobic endurance sport, um, which most are not. So if you just take basketball or baseball. Once you get to, uh, so let's say we start out basically three sets of four, three sets of six, three sets of eight, three sets of 10, three sets of 12, right? Four, six, eight, 10. Well, let's start out different. Let's go six, eight, 10, 12. So in the fourth week, we have three sets of 12. Week five, we can go to three sets of eight. Now we can load weight. We'll never go back to 36 reps. We're at three sets of eight. We're at 24 reps now. So now we've increased the load, lower the repetition, And we always know that volume has a lag phase of recovery. So it's going to take them a couple of weeks to recover from that three sets of 12. So let's make that next block about three weeks. So weeks one, two, three, and four will be ascending. And then five, six, and seven will all be three sets of eight. So they're going to add weight every single week right? at three sets of eight. So the, ch the training changes. And if there are kids that have been there before, now I can drop it down to fives. And go three more weeks of fives. Now, every week, that's going to change weight. So now we've got a situation where they've literally changed their effect for um, seven, eight, nine, ten, for a ten straight weeks. The weight on the bar has been different. The effect's been different. The volume's been different. You know, everything. There's something different right. about that. Training. And now we've done it. The other thing I like to do is, if you notice, we go, you know, when we're ascending, we add just a couple of reps a week because that, that helps us stay away from the soreness. Gives us a good look at the weights. And by the way, when we started three sets of four, it's not a max set, three sets of four. Typically, when I describe it, if I was describing it to you, I'd say, have them do a weight for four that they're able to do with for eight. So that's just a light two, three, four, next, two, three, four, and then, then six. And all of a sudden, when you get to eight, 10, and 12, now you have to figure out, okay, it looks a little bit hard. We don't want anybody squeezing out. So that's a sub-max set of four. In fact, I would call it a very sub-maximal set of four in that first week. Whatever week that is, it's a very sub-maximal sub set. And, and uh, if you noticed, again, like I was going to say, that I really changed the repetition zone. I don't think you're going to get much of an effect by just by two reps. The normal progression is being you know, 10-8-1, 10-12-6, right? 6-2-6-8-4, whatever. I think you need to make that, that rep change between three and five so that you get a significant change in the volume and a significant change in the load to get a significant response back. From that. um, that's really important, I think. And uh, uh, have you monitored them and on what way? 
Well, I mean, we're going to have cards. So, I mean, we're filling out the sheets and I'm looking at the sheets, how they go. And we're just looking at it, you know, like, so for instance, in week, in week two, we should set the six still should be fairly easy. Right. But if I'm looking at a second or third set of six, that's like dad, I say, that's too heavy, too heavy for that. We're, we're too early for that. Back off on that. I want technique. I want a good range of motion. I want you to feel good about that. So it's really for that first cycle of 10 weeks, it's just about me telling you, um, add weight or take weight off. Now, if you're an advanced athlete, I, I can, I can prescribe to you already, um, your numbers. So let's say if it's a bench press and we're doing three sets of four, I can take 60% of your old max. I know you can at least do 60% of your old max for four. Um, and then the next week we might do 65% next week, 70 next week, 75 or, or even it out. So we got to remember now, by the time we get to, or I might even start like with a squat, I might start at 40 or 50%. Because by the fourth week now, we what, uh, four, we started at fours. In the third week, we've now doubled the reps. We went from three sets of four to three sets of eight. So now we've made a, a pretty good jump in volume. So I can, I can make a slower reach on my prescription. But if we go 50, 50, 55, 60, 60% of a back squat for three sets of eight, it's a nice little workout. Yeah. You know, and then we're yeah. building that up a little bit. Um, did you have any problems yeah. with coaches back then uh, in your uh, during your experiences with various teams? I mean, in terms of communication with them, like uh, they were allowing you to do the stuff that you did or you had to get that buy-in, if you know what I mean, uh, with them. You need to <laughs> prove them that actually what are you doing is actually good and beneficial for your athletes so you you're uh, you don't want only to torture them you want them to be better <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no torture involved yeah i just i've never understood the torture thing or guys throwing up after workouts i, I don't even think i've ever had somebody throw up after a workout in 35 years i'm proud of that yeah i, I would say this I don't think it's any coincidence that in those years with the A's early, when we went into Moneyball and were very successful, that we were all allowed to do our job. It was very, I, I never, I can't remember one time, not one time in the 12 years I was there, was there for nine years the first time and then three the second, where the general manager, Billy Bean, who I think everybody knows now, ever said to me, or Sandy Alderson, who was the president at the time when I first got hired, ever said to me, you think you should be doing that? Or I don't want you to do that. Not, not one time, not the manager, not the pitching coach. A couple of times, one of the baseball coaches had said something, but Sandy and Billy said, you don't worry about them. You handled your thing the way you're supposed to handle it. Um, I had full. And, and so you're able to see a couple things happen. You're able to see if you're any good or not. You know, I get to do what I do. It's hard to figure out how good you are. If somebody's telling you what to do, It's because it's not your program then. Yet, you're going to get fired because you did what they told you to do and you weren't successful. Again, that's absolutely horrific, moronic, absurd, however you want to put it in there. But they never told me anything. Now, collegially, collegially, there's lots of sport coaches that think they really know strength and conditioning. And it's sometimes crystal clear how much and how little they know. Uh, it's a shame. And they, they get a lot more say than they should over an area that directly affects the health and welfare of the student athlete. I think it's a shame. Uh, but professionally, I never got questioned one time. And luckily, I knew what I was doing, and it worked. So, you know, in the end, what they could have said was, hey, Um, if we weren't as good, hey, your program didn't work. I would never be able to say, oh, but, you know, you told me I had to do this and I wasn't able to do that. No, they would say, no, it was all yours. Yeah. And I'd say, okay, yeah. you know, um, it's tough collegially for some of these coaches who have been um, unable to use what they wanted to do because a sport coach has stepped in and is allowed to make changes in the strength program if they like in, in lots of places. Yeah, I think that's the difference between, uh, let's say, 
European environment and American environment, at, at least in professional settings. Like you said, that you didn't have any problems in professional league, but in, at college level you had. So I let you, you pointed out that yeah. super athletes barely do anything with weights. So yeah. I think that pr probably a lot of SEC coaches would like to do that. And I think that there is more and more of them that are actually doing it. But the main coach is the problem, you know. He is all, in most cases, he is an old-fashioned guy, no weights, weights make you slow and stuff yeah. like that. So that's one of the problems. And I can see that, I mean, when I was in the States, I could see that, I mean, you have a totally different culture. And so that that's why you are <laughs> better at almost everything <laughs> than us. Yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, you were talking a lot about uh, we were talking a lot about uh, basics and uh, a lot of levels of comp right. competition levels and stuff. So, what are your go-to exercises to maximize trend and power development, and uh, how would you progress from the scratch? So that's a kind of. I just uh, I just put out a little post with a photo of a of a scheme, and I think if you if you end up. If you end up starting with these three exercises, you'll never go wrong. Bench press, a squatting movement, and some sort of pulling off the ground. So you have a, an upper body strength movement, a lower body strength movement, and a total body strength movement. You've got to do that. And I, and I think for the most part with younger athletes, are probably doing too much. They could probably do that three days a week or just do those three lifts twice a week and be in, in perfect position to do the right things because it affects so many body parts. Uh, that's my go-to, you know, and again, it depends on sometimes a squat could be a front squat, a back squat, a assisted squat, a, you know, any number of things, right? And we're talking about in the beginning, but if you look at my programs from freshmen to, you know, 35 year old pitchers, they still have those three components. There is a chest press, there is a squat and there's something off the ground. I think it's important to stick with those, um, in the, in the beginning and throughout a player's career. Uh, and then you, again, as you get older and more experienced coaching, you'll know what's to change first. I don't believe there's a template that says, okay, after that, you got to do this. I think in a general term, like I said, uh, you know, whether, whether that chest press is an incline press, a machine press, a dumbbell incline press, a one arm, it's still got to be a chest press. Because it happens to be the number one strength pressing movement that you can perform. That, it, it, you can handle the heaviest weight, and it affects the most musculature. That's exactly the squat. Same thing for the lower body there, and, the, and of course, the total body. Um, and then you'll know where to go afterwards. Off of that, it just becomes a little more on the knee. Because I think every athlete needs those three components. But I don't think it says okay, after that, you need to go here. And after that, you need to go here. And then at this age, you be that. I think tiered programming is nothing more than just advancing the training with the speed of the athlete. Whenever you talk about these tiered programs where we have Schedule A and Schedule B athletes and Schedule C athletes, I, I've been doing that all along. I think most of us have, and we're just – tiered training is nothing other than advancing the training as the athlete advances physiology, uh, physiologically, right? Um, and you see what that is. Some go faster than others. Like I said, at the collegiate level, you have that general, they're all going to probably do about this as freshmen and all going to probably do this as sophomore. They're outliers, and you have to pay attention to that. But as you go in the pros, when you're talking about 18 to 35, that, that, that thing gets a little bit wider and a little more nebulous, uh, and you have to pay attention to that. But those three exercises are my go-tos, and they will be forever. Right. And uh, what about individualization of the strength training? So you were talking a, a lot about that. So can you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it, yeah, individualized training just has to be. And, and again, I was lucky with men's basketball. They only had, you know, 10 to 15 guys. So it's easy for me to really personalize it. I just could focus in on them. And our program with the basketball team, with our advanced athletes, they were so individualized that none of them could, could train together on the same platform. The, the, the exercises were different. The focus was different. The menu selection was different. 
so it was, you know, and, and, and what exercises some guys started with was different too. If I thought there was a, we really needed to work on the squat, we'd squat first. If you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so it varies, you know, when you have, when you have a team of 40 swimmers, that individualization has to be there, but it certainly wouldn't be as extensive just by, you know, sheer logistics. Right. Right. But you have to be very, you have to figure out if I'm going to, if I'm going to individualize this program, where's my focus going to be? Where do I really, do I really want to, you know, because the person curls more weight than another, do I really want to spend a lot of time making sure that we have a really good bicep curl progression or should I look at the hips and the upper body or, or like in swimming, you know, the focus should be on the shoulders. You need to be careful with happening there. That's a debilitating injury in, in swimmers. So, uh, I, the individualization to me, that article that I wrote was really brought on by hearing coaches say, well, I individualize training. And really what some athletes and other coaches are saying, and even parents who, who were uh, going with their sons and daughters on recruiting trips said, you know, they really had the same workout and they just changed the names on the sheets. And to me, you are individualizing the workout to a certain degree when you start putting percentages on max. Okay. But that, to, to me, that's like a that's like walking and breathing. I mean, you, you're going to do that anyway. That's not really individualized. Right. But when you look at a program where a person's got their squat up higher than most, and you see now the squat is not emphasized, that's starting to personalize because now you're saying, okay, we're we're designing programs based on need. They don't need volume in the squat anymore. They need intensity to maintain it, so they're strong enough now. So if they do that and the squat is strong enough, then you should see a change down in the pull off the ground because now that can get a little quicker because now they have lower body strength to be fast enough to produce more power so that pulling program can be Right. That would be now you're thinking. Now you got some now you got some individualization going. So, you know, you have to I think I think you do have to be careful about degrees of individualization, but I think those degrees only have to deal with the amount of resources you have, how many coaches you have, how many athletes you have. Uh, you know, what your program, uh, what your room is providing you. In my case, I just had those 15. So I could really, every single guy got down to a certain level of, you know, it was so personalized that they couldn't train together. Nice. Well, thank you, Bob. It was a really interesting conversation and uh, I really appreciate your time. Good. Yeah. Thank you, Ivan. I'll enjoy it. I'm glad we got to chat. Always, uh, always a pleasure. Yeah. Looking forward to speaking to you again uh, in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be back to that leg clap. You bet. I'll be out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We will definitely see each other there. Yeah. Oops. So that's it. Thank you very much. All right. See you later. See ya. All right, guys. That's it. Thanks for listening. If you like this, you can rate us. You can share this with your friends. And if you have a question, go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Anchor, anywhere you can find us. Drop us a DM and we'll try to answer it when we can.